People ask me oftentimes, like, you know, I do get this question. It's just weird that God never gave you a boy. Now you see why. Well, what, what do I need a boy for? Look at that, man. In a lot of ways, I've nothing personal, boys. Uh, in a lot of ways, I've lived a wonderful life. I mean, man, God's been so unbelievably good to me. And in some other ways, at the same time, it's a strange dichotomy. My life's been hard. And that's basically, a lot of that's my own fault. I regularly, weekly, put myself in very uncomfortable positions for fun. Uh, something about the way I'm wired, I get comfortable in chaos, comfortable with discomfort. And then there's that, I come home and there's practicing to get ready to sing on Sunday. And just the comfort of that, man. That, whew, it's just a blessing, ain't it? Man, is that good. You wouldn't think that me, when you listen to me preach, you wouldn't think that that's my kind of music. But that's my kind of music. I drink that kind of... I could sit there and listen to that kind of music all day long, and it just does something in my heart. It's just a comforting... It's a soft spot. You know what I mean? God's good, ain't He? Holy Spirit's a comforter. It's a blessing, ain't it? Nehemiah chapter number 11, we're going to read two verses. I'm going to preach to you from the most unlikely chapter in all the Bible. My wife read ahead this week and she, I said to her, uh, I was coming out of the office there to take care of something real quick. And I said, man, this has been something else, this next chapter. She said, yeah, I was wondering how you were going to do that. <laughs> I said, oh, you've been looking. She said, yep. And she is harassing me this morning. She says, well, you're going to preach today or you're just going to teach? You know, you got anything in you or not? Yeah, sometimes when I get like this, that comforting voice over there, you guys don't know, on the way to church, she's sitting in the car going, you going to preach this morning? You got any preaching? Yeah, you look a little soft to me, you know what I Like, I mean, like, yeah, so, um, yeah, all right. So sometimes it's her fault when I get too worked up. You would never know what's coming from that. But Nehemiah chapter 11, verse number 1, And the rulers of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. And the rest of the people also cast lots to bring one of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men, look at it, that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. I want to preach to you tonight on willingness in service. Now, if the Lord's as wonderful as we just heard sung, and some of you are crying because it's touching you that much, If the Lord's that wonderful, then I really think we ought to be willing to do and be anything He wants us to do and be. Because if He's really that wonderful, then what He asks you to do and be is not for your destruction. It's for your good and for His glory. Let's go ahead and ask God to bless the preaching. I'm going to pick on Jesse and ask you to pray for me, brother, and then I'll give you the message that the Lord's laid on my heart this morning. Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to, to gather here, Lord, um, just to, to come and learn your word at all is, uh, is a special thing, Lord. We shouldn't take it for granted. I thank you for, uh, for this place, Lord. I thank you for your book. I thank you for your preaching, Lord. I pray that you fill them with your word, with the, with the strength and the spirit, that you give them liberty to, to preach uh, what you have them to we just thank you so much for it, Lord. The glory be all yours. In Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? 
It's interesting, as we're going through the book of Nehemiah, we know that Ezra had begun the work before, and I'm repeating myself, I know that, but please stay with me. Ezra had begun the work some ten years before Nehemiah came along, and what Ezra had done is he had gone back to that place where the temple of God had been and where the walls of Jerusalem used to stand. And he saw the judgment of God had come and everything been destroyed and, and the worship of God was gone. It was because God's people had disobeyed the Lord and wandered away from the Lord and through all the things that God had done to judge them and bring problems and then solve the problems and bring more problems and solve the problems. And when God brought the problems, they would get right. And then when they were right, they would fall away. And then God would allow more problems and then God would solve the problems. And, and God's people just kept going farther and farther down that road of constantly, you know, getting right and falling out, getting right and falling out, where the judgment of God finally came, the walls are destroyed, the temple's gone, and God's people are carried off into captivity and everything's a complete mess. And God sends back Ezra to rebuild the temple, the place of worship. Ezra comes in there and the foundation was still in the ground, but the temple was gone and he rebuilds the temple. And then some 10 years later, Nehemiah comes along and he says he's in the king's palace, don't forget, in captivity. And he asks one of his brothers to come back, hey, how are things going in Jerusalem? And he said, really, you know, the temple's there, but... Man, things are in disrepair. The walls are burned down. The gates are burned down. There's really not much going on. There's no protection. There's no parameters set up for that temple that was reconstructed. So Nehemiah then, under a miraculous movement of God, he goes in before the king, and the king gives him the complete rights, privilege, authority, everything needed to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We've been now going through this book for 10 chapters, 10 weeks, or almost 11 weeks today, and looking at the process that comes into place when you're going to rebuild those walls. We've seen all the resistance that comes when you decide, listen, I'm going to get to work doing something for God. The worship of God in my life is so important that I'm going to go ahead and build some walls and parameters around this, and I'm going to repair the breaches that the devil comes in, and I'm going to put up some gates and bars to keep out the adversary. I want to protect this thing that is very important to me the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ this is everything to me and I want to protect this and as you begin to do that work there's constant resistance that comes now the Lord has blessed them and it's interesting when you come to chapter number 11 in your Bible you look at this thing and you think man this is a dry chapter and I mean man to be honest with you I'm not going to be super spiritual this morning I don't know how to be anything other than what I am okay uh, they tried to train me out of that in Bible college, not Bible Institute, in Bible college. They tried to train me out of that, and it backfired in their face. I left before they kicked me out. You understand how that worked? Same thing with my first church. I left before the deacons could fire me. Got that? that they wanted to meet with me that morning, that, that before the service, and I said, no, we'll meet after church. And then I resigned, and then I said, okay, now the deacons meeting. They were furious because they wanted the honor of firing me, but I quit first. Do you understand how that works? It was the same thing with Bible college. I don't know how to be anything other than myself, and I'm not going to play games with you this morning. The reality of this thing is that this chapter is very boring. I'm human like you. He desecrated the work of God. Word of God. Listen, every single word in this chapter is the perfect, inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God, and I would not be so arrogant and foolish as to change one word of this text. I was reading it this morning. You know, one king being referred to in the same chapter got two different names? You know what the idiots do? I mean, the, 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 the smart scholar guys do? 
They go and they correct that mistake, that translation error in the King James Bible. But you know what I noticed when I read the exact same, the very next chapter in that same passage? In the very next chapter, there was a king in Israel whose life overlapped the king in Judah. And the king in Israel, guess what? He had the same name. So the way God transitioned the name because it was like, Michael is my name, don't call me Michael. Unless you really want to fight, don't call me Michael. Okay? And I know I'm little, but trust me, I, I can fight. I promise you that. My name's Mike. People say, what's your name? I say, hi, I'm Mike. You say, why is that? Because every time it's like, hi, my name is Michael and I'm your server. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not Michael. My name's Mike. There's a difference in the names. You understand what I mean? So this guy's name went by two different names, but it's the same name. You know why God made that switch back and forth? So you'd know as he's talking which one he's talking about because it got real confusing until you recognize that it's the same name used different ways in the same passage. So as you're studying the guy's life, the overlap made a lot more sense in my mind because I knew who was being talked about. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I'm just saying you can't mess with the Bible at all because God knows what he's doing when he writes it. Every word of this chapter is absolutely perfect. But it's boring. It's not where I go when I'm troubled about life and I'm trying to figure things out and I need an answer from God. I'm not going to Nehemiah chapter 11. But guess what? This morning, I'm going to preach to you from this chapter because this is the word of Almighty God. And what you're going to see this morning, if God will do this, if God will do it, what you're going to see this morning is that it's the Holy Spirit of God that teaches the Bible. And the Holy Spirit of God can speak from any part of that Bible and give you a message out of your Bible, even when it's boring. There's stuff there for you, so don't take any of it lightly. When we come to chapter number 11... What we're actually doing is we're picking up where we had left off in chapter 7. What has happened is that Nehemiah's got the work done. When you go go back to chapter 7, let me show you. When Nehemiah gets the work completed, look at chapter 7, verse number 1. Now it came to pass when the wall was built, and I had set up the doors and the porters and the singers, and the Levites were appointed. See that? The wall was built. Then I gave my brother Hananiah, and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God above many. And I said unto them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun be hot. And while they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them, and appoint watches of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, every one in his watch, to every one, and every one to be over his house, over against his house. Now the city was large and great, but the people were few therein, and the houses were not builded. All right, stop. Then he launches in. I'm sorry, no, look at the next verse. And my God put into my heart to gather together the nobles and the rulers and the people that they might be reckoned by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of them and came up at the first and found written therein. And there he goes into a long list of names. And then what happens is when you get through chapter number seven, there's a pause in the action. Chapter number 11 is a continuation from chapter seven. But in chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10, something else is going on. So here's what's happening. Nehemiah gets the walls done, right? The gates are up, the bars are up, the breaches are made, everything's protected and ready to go. God has used him to do an amazing work. I mean, miracles, literally miracles are happening. It's a man following God, taking risks and chances with his own life. 
willing at this point to throw away his whole future. This man had a great future. He had a great position. He had a great job. He had everything going for him, all the power, all the success in the world. He had more than anybody in captivity could possibly ask for. He was the king's cupbearer. And obviously had a good relationship with the king because he asked for something crazy and the king did it for him. He had a future. And he threw away this future because he was willing to go do something for God when he found out the walls are burnt down, the thing is a mess, the work that God began with Ezra has not yet been completed and there's more that needs to be done. He's saying, listen, we're still in this spot like the church is still in this world as much as we want a rapture. We're still in this spot because God is not done yet and there's a future for you and I. Nehemiah saw that future and said, all right, God ain't done yet, so I need to get down there, and I'm willing to risk everything to go down there and fight all the resistance and take all the chances, even possibly with them lying and trying to get me destroyed and put into jail and all the resistance that's coming. I'm going to fight every bit of it tooth and nail because there's a work there that I'm willing to do that needs to be done. Nehemiah went down there and got the work done. But the problem was, now that we got it all together and we got a great foundation, we got a great place to meet, this thing's fortified. Everything's been built the right way. It's all set up the right way. But now what we need is we need bodies. God's been doing a great work, but the city is large and there's still more work inside to be done. There's houses, there's, there's people's individual dwelling places, those individual people, not, not the big ministry, not the big mission. The individual lives of the individual people need their houses built inside and we need people that can guard those gates and bar those doors and let people in and let people out and porters and singers and we have so much that still needs to be done. We're just at a new phase now in the process we're not done yet God's not done yet there's more to be done and Nehemiah sees that need and he begins working on that need in chapter number 7 because he sees what needs to be done and he goes after it and then God that's what he's showing you in the way he lays this out because they'll tell you man I mean one of the worst classes I ever took in Bible college was uh, 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 Reese's chronological bible Guy wrote a Bible in chronological order. You've never seen a bigger mess in your whole life. I mean, I mean, unbelievable. And this is a copy of Sarah, and this is a copy of Sarah. I'm sitting in class. I can still see the guy. He's super smart, scrawny little, you know, Bible college professor, and he'd do this at the front of the class, and he'd talk like, you know, he wouldn't look, and I'd sit there with my hand up. I wouldn't be that way today, but I was a little punk. I'm sorry. Yes, sir, Mr. Reagan. In your margin over here, it says that this is a copyist error. What does that mean? Well, I'm I'm not allowed to talk about that. In other words, we hide the fact that we really correct the Bible. We undermine the faith of all the preacher boys in the Word of God and get them hooked on their own intellect so we can kind of control what they actually believe because we can tell them what it actually means and give them a feeling like they know more about the Bible and God than the people do because they know the originals. It's a real game, man. They get them hooked on it. They get them hooked on the ego of it early. You ever seen a bigger mess in your life than when somebody takes the Bible and says, God didn't do this right, so we're not going to begin it where God began it and just run it through the way God laid it out in the canon of Scripture. We're going to put it all in order. So when you take the Bible like that and you chop it up from the way God gave it to you, 
and you try to put it in the order you want, you can't figure out where the tribulation happens, where the millennial kingdoms happen, where the rapture happens. You can't figure out where the church is. You can't figure none of that thing. You lose all rightly dividing of the Bible because God laid it out the way he laid it out on purpose. And then on top of that, you lose a whole lot of practical applications that God's got in there that the Holy Spirit tries to teach you. And sometimes he's teaching you things you don't know he's teaching you. Anybody a parent in the room? You ever teach your kids something they don't know that you're teaching them? And they get all bent out of shape and you're like, just do it. Why? Because I said. As time goes on, you give them more answers, right? When they get to the point where they're ready for it. But early on, don't you teach them some stuff they got no idea you're teaching? My parents are so stupid. My my friend's parents don't do that. It's because your friend's parents are clueless. I wish my parents were like them. Why? So you can turn out like your friend? Sometimes you're teaching them things that they don't know you're teaching them. God's got that Bible written that way. That thing has a way of dispensing wisdom to you you don't know you're getting yet. But God's laying a foundation. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? God's giving you this story and he stops in chapter 7 and then he picks it back up in chapter number 11. But in 8, 9, and 10, what happens? All the progress that was being made, the visual progress of building the work that could be seen before that was being made stops being made. Here he is saying, listen, we got the walls up, we got the gates up. Now it's time to start staffing everything. Now it's time to get the people working. Now it's time to get organized. Now it's time to get people back here dwelling in this place, building their houses. We got to fortify this thing. This is important. We got to move forward now. And God says, wait. And I tell you, a major part of your life, if you're following God, if you're following God, Mark this down. You're not going to like it. A major part of your life is going to be hurry up and wait. You're going to feel like, I need to do this. I got to do that. I'm supposed to do this. It's time to do that. And God's going to say, Lord, I thought that was going to be the gas. No, that's the break. What are you doing? God's souls are dying and going to hell. You need to stop. You need to slow down. Because in chapter 8, 9, and 10, the foundations that are being built right now, the work that's going on right now, has nothing to do with walls and gates and bars. You know what the work that's going on is? It's in the hearts of the people. God has put breaks on my ministry. I'm using the ministry as an illustration that I hope, if you can't relate to that because you're not a pastor, I hope it helps you in a couple ways. I hope it helps you understand the work of God. We talked last week about commitment, the church. I also hope that you can take it and make a practical application to your own life because you'll find the same things are true. What God might do with me and in me and on me in the ministry is just another illustration of what God will do in your individual lives. You understand that? I remember back in the early days, man, I was so full of spit and vinegar. I was so full of excitement. I wanted to see this thing go. I mean, how many of you remember when we did the overcomers thing? Just a couple of you. That was a, 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 our own drug program. We didn't do the RU because somebody already did that. We're going to do our own. And, you know, it's like the NA and the AA and all that stuff. We did an RU program. We had an RU going on on Friday nights, uh, overcomers. People come in and we'd sign their papers for their probation officers and sign their papers for the amount of meetings they had to be. We were one of the authorized places they could go. And, man, I had so much going on. We started a Bible institute. I've been in the ministry for like three or four, five, six years, something like that. And I'm starting a Bible institute to train preachers. 
I'm going to teach you how to be a preacher like me with all my vast experience. I was just ready to set the world on fire. We did door knocking. We did flyers, hanging out flyers on the doors. We did postcard mailers. Remember that headache? We did Facebook advertising. We ran billboards on the highways. We actually went and got printers to start a printing ministry. One time we went to Ohio to get the printing printers. When we got there, we go into this great big warehouse and they said, here's the one and here's the other one. This one needs a little bit of work. This one should run for you. The one that needed a little bit of work, it had wires hanging out everywhere, parts falling off of it. It was this monster hunk of metal that was an absolute hunk of junk. You understand? We had not slept all night. We'd drive, we'd get down there, we're loading this stuff up. We had to stop at the closest dump we could find where we could scrapyard, we could find to scrap this thing. We, it was so heavy, we could hardly get it off the trailer. We hadn't slept, we hadn't eaten. I remember being so angry because when we got there, the guys were accusing us of stealing it. We're like, yeah, right. We're, we're going to come from Michigan to Ohio to steal a big hunk of metal like this to scrap it. There's a lot of other illegal ways to make a lot more money a lot easier. I mean, I mean, being so angry. I was starving hungry. But, man, we were just ready to do. The second trip for our printing ministry, we went all the way out to Virginia or West Virginia or something like that. You guys remember that? Guess what happened to those printers that we were going to start a printing ministry to reach souls and send, we're going to just print it at our expense and send it to the missionaries all over the world. Guess what happened to those printers? They wound up parked in my garage for years on end when I didn't even have room for my own stuff in that garage. Man, I, I'm just trying to, what I'm trying to say is we were doing so much. I was preaching six times a week in my own storefront ministry because it was just time to make it happen. And I had no idea what God was actually doing. See, what the Lord did to me is the Lord cut me back. And he cut me back again. And he cut me back again. You know, God cut me back so much it started really hurting Went through a long period, and my wife can attest to it, a long period in this ministry, in this church, where I was frustrated and angry and miserable. I had quit my job and gone full-time with 30 people in the church. I mean, my income went to uh, about 25% of what it was before I quit my job. We just bought our first house. She thought we were going to lose the house. So did I. I just didn't tell her. All this risk-taking, and all this willingness to throw it all away and then pouring everything I had into trying to make something happen for God and do all the things you have to do in order to be spiritual, in order to get God's blessing, in order to see souls saved. And you know what God did to me? He kept cutting me back, cutting me back, cutting me back. I, you don't have time for all the details, but he put me in a position where we wound up with one car. And, and, and she had to go to work in order to put the girls through school because you can do what you want. This is no knock on anybody, including us. Homeschooling is not for us. They're doing it now. No, they're virtual on now. They have teachers that take care of it. We say, email your teacher, you know, ask Anna. <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't for us. She put them in the Christian school, but that was just, she got a job to keep them in school because she wanted Anna to be able to play the piano which I'm really grateful that she did because we couldn't afford it on my income. So she went to work, which paid for, the, paid for the piano for years on end and paid for their Christian schooling, and it was money in, money out, money in, money out. And we had one vehicle trying to orchestrate all that. And I was so frustrated. I'll never forget how frustrated I was. 
And I didn't understand why God was cutting us back. And then after all this, we get a building, you know, we're in here, and I'm thinking now the church is going to grow. And instead, the church actually didn't grow. It kind of shrunk for a little while. We're coming up on 15 years now. I thought after 15 years, we'd have about three to five times this many people. I was walking out this door one day. Brother Peacock was here, and he said, yeah. You're going to do the, 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 you think you're going to do the same thing the rest of us did. You're just going to do it bigger, faster, and better, and walked away from me. And I remember looking at that big old guy walking out in front of me and feeling way shorter than I already am. And I thought, he's right. Who the heck do I think I am? And God was in the process of cutting me back. You know what God was doing when he cut me back? God was saying, Mike, it's time to work on you. What I didn't know God was doing was not just working on me, on my foundation and my relationship with Jesus Christ and checking my motives for why I was doing what I was doing. But God was also working on a whole bunch of people throughout this church at the same time when I'm looking at it saying, it's not growing. How come it's not growing? How come the building's not full? God was working on a whole bunch of other people to establish their houses and to get their roots to go deeper and to let them pass some tests and work on them so that God could get us to a place where he could say, all right, now I'll send more. That's how God works. So the times when you feel like God has paused you and you're not going anywhere and you're not getting from God what you wanted and it's not going the way you thought and you thought you'd be much farther along in life than this at this time and you thought these things were going to be happening but they're not happening, that does not mean God's done. He's given them three chapters to test them out and to try them and to work on them in their personal relationship with God and they took those three chapters to do what they were supposed to do between them and God. They were willing And I showed you already, I won't re-preach the messages, but they were willing to accept what God had given them, even if it was negative, because it was their relationship with God that mattered. Then in chapter number 11, all of a sudden, God begins to break it loose again. And now we're seeing a bunch of people coming into Jerusalem, and notice there's a key to their willingness when these people are coming to back up the movement that God has. Because it always goes like this throughout history. And it will happen in every local church. Listen to me clearly. It starts with a man. Do you understand that? Any movement of God starts with a man. You go look at the great awakenings that spread the whole planet. They started with men. Martin Luther. Jonathan Edwards. It starts with a man. A man who's willing to say, God, I hear you. And God, I give you me. Here's my future. It is blank. Right on the pages of my future, what your will is. God, here am I. What do you want? You do. It starts with a man. From the man, it becomes a movement. Because God uses that man for a purpose to begin to influence other people. And as that movement begins and those walls begin going up and those gates get on and other people start seeing that something's happening over there, then more people come looking to get a part of what God is doing, excited about something that's happening, recognizing, hey, we need this. This is of God. This is important. And they start getting, and then from a movement, it becomes a machine. And to some extent, it's necessary. Because in order to keep getting that work done, everything's got to have its spot. Do you understand that? 
Everything's got to work in that machine in such a way when God's in it and it's properly organized and there's proper leadership and proper direction there, then they're going to take what God's doing and make sure that those things are in the right place so that machine can keep moving and keep getting the job done it was designed to do. But the problem is when it gets them to the machine zone, it turns into a monument. And that's when the thing just goes right downhill. You can watch it happen. If you've been around any length of time, you've seen it happen. I remember the story was told to me. I didn't hear it personally. I wasn't there when it happened. But I heard Dr. Noe said about that great church. Galilean at one point was a great church. I mean, souls were getting saved. The place was packed. Drove by it just the other day. And I remember Dr. Noe saying, I saw it go up and I saw it come down because the thing burned down before he passed away. You know what happens to every movement eventually? Eventually. Great churches. A great Temple Baptist Church of Detroit. Massive church. You know what happens? Eventually they go off into, they don't even look like, they, they go off into apostasy. They look nothing like what they did when God started it with a man who was willing to follow God, seeing souls saved and preaching the word of God and making a difference in people's lives. Before you know it, it's just nothing more than a monument. Look at what God used to do. Well, what we got going on now is this man's life is becoming a movement. And he's taking this thing and he's putting it into proper place so that the, the whole thing can begin to operate the way God wants it to operate and be protected and continue moving forward for God. And I want to say this before I get in here. It takes time. You have to understand in your life, it's going to take time. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? I don't know. Whatever God's trying to do with you, it don't happen fast. Fast generation. Microwave generation. Now generation. Credit card generation. Guinea generation. If God's doing it, it doesn't happen fast. You know what I know now at 44 years old, almost 15 years in the ministry, I know that if God had allowed me 10 years ago to try to pastor over 100 people or 300 people, there's no way. I had no idea what I was doing. I still don't. But I got a little better idea now than I did before. I'm sure glad God pumps the brakes in my life and says, slow down. you got four little girls. You're so busy already in a church of 50 people or 30 people. You're so busy already, you're ignoring your little girls. Slow down. They're going to be old before you know it. They're going to be gone before you know it. Slow down and wait and let that work get done right. Put a good foundation down. And make sure the worship is in place. And make sure your relationship with me is right. Get that thing going the right way. And slow down a little bit. Let me do my work in my time. That's hard to do. You cannot walk into a Fortune 500 company. And at 30 years old get the corner office the day you walked in. And have any idea how to run a budget, how to manage people, how to hire and how to fire and how to promote and how to put the right talent in the right places and the P&L charts and the stocks and all the rest of the stuff that goes on. You can't possibly do that. Not in reality. You got to know what it feels like to do some of those other jobs beneath you, even if you're not as good at them as some of the people you hire are. You understand that, right? The guy in the corner office might not be able to do the part you do as good as you do it. What makes him the guy in the corner office is he knew you could do it. 
And he knew you could do it better than him. And he knew that was your spot. This is all part of the message. You'll get it in a minute. He knew that was your spot. And he put you there for the better of the whole. And you sit back and he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, he knows enough to have hired you. You might be better at it than him, but he knows enough because he's been there. He's earned his stripes. Now God's beginning to send all these people in and Nehemiah's here and it says in verse number one, and the rulers of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. Don't worry because there's just not a lot of material in this chapter for me to verse by verse it, okay? So we're farther into the message than you think we are. You know what I mean? Because you guys know how I go through verse by verse. You understand? Don't worry. There's not that much meat in here. We're good. The rulers of the people dwell at Jerusalem and the rest of the people also cast lots to bring one of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men that willingly offered themselves, see it, to dwell at Jerusalem. What's the key to willingness? You ever think about that? You ever hear somebody, when you get around these religious circles, you know, it's like, oh Lord, I pray the Lord make me willing to be willing. Have you heard that? I've always wondered what exactly that means. What do you want him to do? Break your neck? Okay, God, I give. Tap. What's that supposed to mean? I want to be willing to be willing. That's a cop-out. You know what the key to willingness is? It's a clearing of yourself. You see, that's what they had already done. And again, I'm not going to go re-preach the message, but you saw back in chapters 8 and 9 and 10 how it was that they had had confession time. They had gotten on their face and they really got things right with God. They recognized, God, you're God. And the reason we're in the mess that we're in and the reason we're so desperate for you is because of our sin. And they're willing to face their sin. Hey, I preached it enough in the last few weeks. If you ain't got it by now, you're not going to get it. You don't want to get it. The fact of the matter is, is that you ought to have a great confession life between you and God. If you don't have a confession prayer life, you don't know God. I didn't say you're not saved. I said you don't know God. The closer I get to God, if I'm getting closer, which I hope I am, I'm trying to, the more wicked I think I am. I don't look and say, you don't know what I used to be. You should see the man I am today. Oh, the reason God's blessing me is because I, I mean, it's just really great. We've done everything the right way and we made all the sacrifices and we are willing. And are, are you kidding me? The closer I get to the Lord, the more I can't stand Mike Reagan. The more I can't stand my nature. The more I look back at even the beginning of planting the church and all that we did. Hey, there's nothing to brag about. He quit his job to go full time. Maybe I quit my job because my ego was driving me to try to do something nobody else had done and show off how good God is. Hey, I doubt my own motive half the time. God's grace and God's mercy and God's goodness. Hey, Blessing that book and blessing his son. That's why you're here this evening, this morning. Ain't any other reason. Because God honors that book and God honors the name of Jesus Christ and God honors the best efforts of wicked men to do what they can to try to serve God. And God overlooks so much about me. And God overlooks so much about you. If you got what you deserved, God would snap your back and drop you in hell. We got a great God. Confession ought to be an active part of who we are as Christians. 
I'm not talking about coming to me and telling me about your sins. I don't want to hear it. I didn't say if you need help, I don't want to help you. I'm happy to help you. I'm saying the whole confessional booth thing, not happening. Got it? Hey, life's rough enough. I'm not even on Facebook because I don't want to know. I'm not on Instagram because I don't want to see. I get enough. I got a phone. You got my number. Text me. Call me if you need me. Amen? That's good enough for me. I got a life. I'm talking about you and God getting on your knees and saying, Lord, I'm sorry for what I am. I'm sorry for what I thought today. I'm sorry for my attitude today. I'm sorry for my rebellious spirit. I'm sorry for leaning towards this world. One of my daughters said it pretty profoundly yesterday. She said, it seems like it's just a matter of which way you lean. She said, if you stand up like that against it, it's not as big of a deal. Talking about the world around us. God, I noticed today I've kind of been leaning the wrong... God, I noticed this today I've not been... God, forgive me. God, I heard them say that at work, or I accidentally saw them looking at that on their computer or on their phone, and God, I, I let that thing turn around in my mind a couple of times, and God, I'm sorry. God, I've got a rotten attitude. God, i got a rotten spirit. God, help me. Forgive me. God, make me a better husband. Do you pray that, gentlemen? Like every day? I mean, could your wife say he's more wonderful than my mind can conceive? He's more wonderful. <laughs> yeah, aren't we supposed to love her like Christ loved the church? Maybe that's something you should be talking to God about. What kind of a dad are you? What kind of a wife are you? You see what I'm saying? There's a lot of things to dig into and go, God, I've been a real mess here, and I've been really off, and I, I, I've been running from that God, and I've been making excuses for that God, and God, I, I, God, I need to get right with you. You want to be willing? You want to be one of those that's, that, that's blessed because they're willing? You're not here because you have to be here? That's why we don't put a bunch of pressure on people about being in church. I want you to be here. I really do. I pray, I pray weekly by name. I'm, I'm sorry, daily by name for this church. I notice when you're not here. When I'm gone next week, she's going to tell me who's here and who's not here. <laughs> it comes up in the car ride on the way home. Hey, where was so-and-so? Where was so-and-so? Where was so-and-so? But I don't pressure you to be here. You know, I'd rather have, and we've had a lot more than this, but I'd rather have 30 people show up on Sunday night happy to be here than 80 people with half of them miserable and trying to make everybody else miserable. Amen. Willing service. You know what makes the difference between being happy and serving the Lord and not? It's willingness. I don't come to church because I have to. You're the pastor. Listen to me. See, these are all working. Both of these work so far. They're not quite as good as they used to, but they're still working. My, my legs are, you know, I look like a flamingo, but they're strong. <laughs> my back's good. I, I promise you, I'm not here for a paycheck. I promise you that. Right. I'm here this morning because I want to be here. You know, it's all the difference in the world. But I think the key to that willingness is recognizing who I am and who he is. And trying to be right with him, trying to get it right with him, trying to stay right with him. See, it's the dirtiness of that heart. You ever notice that? You ever see that like your sin is one thing? It's like, I can't believe I did that. I feel horrible about what I did, right? But you ever notice you can stop doing those things and still feel just as bad about everything? 
It's the difference between actions and heart. You understand what I'm saying this morning? I want my heart right with Jesus Christ. And when I get my heart right, my actions eventually follow. That's true repentance. True repentance is not just changing your mind, but it's changing your direction as well. When your mind truly changes, you're saying, I'm wrong and he's right, and you start going his direction, not your own. The arrogance of some people. I was talking to Grace about it this morning. You know, when I started a church, I didn't want to start it out here. I didn't want to be here. Let me just just spit it out, and please don't take it personal. You know that I'm not where I was 12 years ago, 15 years ago. I didn't want to be around these white, suburbanite, well-to-do, don't-need-God, arrogant, think they know more than than God or anybody else. I just can't stand the attitude. I don't need that. I'm good. Look what I drive. Look where I live. Look how much money I make. Oh, I know my Bible. I love it when guys say that to me. Oh, I've read the whole Bible. I know it all. I know the whole Bible. You're an idiot. All right, turn to Zephaniah. Right now, show me Zephaniah, right now. Where is it? Find it. Yeah, you stinking con man. You know the whole Bible, you liar. Arrogance. Can't stand that. I wanted to go to Detroit. Didn't I, honey? You know what I was talking to her about this morning? I said, the arrogant insanity of me at 30-something years old to think I knew better than God Wanting to go to Hazel Park or Detroit. or Remember when we tried to start a church in Hazel Park? You guys remember that? Just talking about, just talking about God slowing you down and saying we've got to work on some other things, which is your heart. The arrogance of me. I can't imagine being anywhere other than where I'm at right now. I love this church beyond what I even know how to say. The family God's given me, the place I live, the area I live in. When I'm gone, I love, I can't stand landing in Detroit, but I love getting in the car and heading to the house. Amen? (laughs) Get me out of the airport and then I'm happy. I I feel as, get off 23 and start heading down, uh, down what is it, it's not M59, it's uh, 36. The road we live off of. (laughs) Start heading west on 36. I can't explain it. You know, God always knows more than you know. Even about you. It's a matter of saying, God, you're right and I'm wrong. A clearing of yourself and then the commitment to the Lord we already saw. They cast lots and in verse number two, to bring out one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in other cities. What they had to do is leave where they were and go where God wanted them. That's commitment. The key to willingness, clearing yourself, And then, committing to God. You see, the clearing of yourself has to come before the commitment. A lot of people make religious commitments, but they haven't dumped themselves yet. you got to clean out the junk in you. Clear yourself before you even know what you're committing to. I want to serve the Lord. I want to be a, you know what God had to do to me? He had to beat me down and break me down. God takes a man, that's the call. God breaks a man, that's the process. And then God, God breaks a man, that's the, that's the preparation. Then God makes a man, that's the process. That process never stops. God's still working on me. I don't want him to have to break me anymore. That's miserable. I wanted to commit to God. Sure, okay, I'll be called to preach, but I was telling God where. I was telling God when and I was telling God how wasn't willing. 
There wasn't a blank check. I fought coming here for years. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even dare get into all the details. I fought coming here for years. But I can tell you this morning, God is so right. I wish I'd have bellied up years before I did. Because he always, I was just scared. I was honestly scared. I didn't want what I knew God had for me. I didn't want it. I wasn't willing. And I brought so much pain in my own life on my poor wife. I put us so far behind in so many ways because I wasn't willing. Can I, as graciously as I know how, say that is the stupidest thing you can do? The key to willingness is a clearing of yourself and a commitment to the Lord, but there's components to the willingness. Look at verse number 1. The rulers dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people also cast lots to bring one of ten. And then in verse number 2, the people blessed all the men that willingly offered themselves. The components to the willingness is a spirit of volunteering. Do you see that in verses 1 and 2? It's pretty simple, ain't it? God needs a bunch of guys back at Jerusalem. And then one out of ten guys, a pretty elite crowd, says, I'll be the guy. I'll be the guy. Hey, it's dangerous over there. I just want you to know you might not be safe. Yeah, but if God wants me there, I'll go. God will get me through. God will bring me home. It'll be okay. They're volunteering. You know, you don't have a lot of people willing to just say, God, I'll volunteer. Anything, anywhere, anytime, I'm yours. And I want to be, you know what everybody wants to do? They want to volunteer for the specific slot. Lord, I want to be a singer. We need nursery workers. We need parking lot guys. We need guards in the lobby. We need toilet bowl cleaners. People on the cleaning schedule. Um, Where's the singing slot? Uh, Yeah, I'll do that one. We need Sunday school workers. Uh, Little kids or older kids? Little kids. Uh, Maybe older kids. Is the the youth group fully staffed? Ain't that funny how people are? It's human nature, ain't it? Didn't I mention to you before you don't walk in at 30 years old and get to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company? You got to start somewhere and you got to work your way up. We try to instill that in our kids early. I mean early. I want to do the dishes when they're young and they don't know what they're asking for. They see their older sisters doing it, you know. Nope, you're trash. As long as it's still, they're not ready for dishes yet. See, you work your way up. <laughs> Once they get to that, then they're like, ah, why did I ever want this? And it's like, okay, that's life. Now you're learning, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Willingness. Are you willing to volunteer? There are some guys willing to put their life on the line. It's what I appreciate about our military men. I know I'm, I'm not a big guy in making church into patriotism and politics, right? Because God's not an American. I have a hard time saying, God bless America. How can you ask God to bless something when he says, if you do this, I'm going to curse you and we're doing it. I have a hard time saying, God bless America. I really do. I have a hard time saying, you know, talking about American pride. That's a pretty bad word to put with a country that's run from God. But I'll tell you this much, I have a tremendous amount of respect for servicemen. Why? Because they volunteer and they know it might mean they lose their legs. They know it might mean they lose their life. And they go. You mess with them, you're messing with me in my book. 
You got no idea. Volunteering spirit. But notice something else. Look at verse 6 and verse 14. The sons of Perez that dwelt at Jerusalem were 403 score and 8. So that's 468 valiant men. You see that? Look down at verse number 14. And their brethren, mighty men of valor, and 120 and 8. You know, the components to willingness has to do with a, will, a volunteering spirit. But also, it has to do with a valiant spirit. Those guys that volunteered, said, I'll do it, were willing to put their life on the line. Valiant means strong or vigorous in body, brave and courageous. The word valor has to do with strength of mind in regards to danger and counting danger with firmness. There's valiant men. You know what you don't have nowadays? You don't have very many valiant men. Right. I'm saying the studies of the, of, the, of the army, the paratroopers that, that are jumping out of the planes, they said they've never seen a generation of young guys breaking their legs more than the modern day paratroopers because they haven't been out jumping out of trees like they used to back in the old days. There's just not a lot of valiant men anymore. The whole generation, the whole world, I'm not knocking anybody. The whole generation, we've just been numbed down into a soft, lazy, virtual world. And it's affected your Christianity. It's affected your walk with Jesus Christ. I'm not saying y'all got to be alpha male tough guys. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you ought to have some valor when it comes to spiritual things. You ought to be willing to face danger and stand up against it and say, if that's what's needed, I'll do it. You know what deacons are? They're volunteers. That's not a calling like a pastor. If a man... Uh, he purchased himself a good degree and great boldness in the faith. He buys it. He purchases it. I tell them when they come on, I say, this is just because you've been doing the job already. Number one. Number two, be willing to relinquish your position if somebody else comes along and I feel like God needs to give them an opportunity to serve in this capacity. Number three, you're a volunteer. You can quit anytime you want. See the longevity we have with deacons around here? It's amazing. It's amazing. Why? Because they're men of valor. They're willing to stand up against the hard times and they've been through some hard times. They've watched the hard times come and go and they're still here. That's why the church is still here. It ain't just all about the pastor. It's about some other men of valor, some other men of strength. Whether you're a deacon or not, you can be one of these men. And this is what it takes once the walls are up and the gates are up and the bars are up and the temples established. This is what it takes to defend that city and staff that city and keep that thing going for Jesus Christ. A willingness in the hearts of the men and the hearts of the women to say, yes, we'll step up, we'll volunteer. You know what a pastor's wife is? It's a lot like a deacon. You don't get paid. You have a title that everybody expects you to live up to. And you do a lot of work behind the scenes that nobody ever knows you do and you never get credit for until you get to the judgment seat of Christ. Now, don't forget that, ladies, because it's not what you think it is. If God calls your husband to preach, it ain't what you think it is. I feel like I'm gifted to be a speaker. Well, then good. Sit there with your gift and don't get to use it. (laughs) It's not easy. It's awful valiant, though. It's like the special ops of the old days that would come and go and do the job. And you know, what got, you know what kept them guys going? You know what wired them guys? The job. Had nothing to do with the recognition, the book sales, the interviews, the big businesses, the massive amounts of money that come later, the adoring masses. 
It had to do with we knew who we were, we knew what we did, and we lived for the job, and we got fulfillment in doing the job. You know the old school MMA fighters that built modern day MMA? They're different than the modern guys. The old school guys, they'll tell you themselves, we're tougher, meaner, and dumber. And they said, anybody that asked us what we do, we never said MMA. We all worked full-time jobs. But they built something you know today. And now this modern-day crowd, they're just this little glory-seeking, glory-hound, soft, effeminate, athletic. One of the things the old guys will tell you, we weren't athletic. We were dumb thumps, man. But we were the toughest guys on the planet, and they took great glory in being the toughest guys on the planet. They just loved the job. You see, when you love Jesus Christ, sorry for such an illustration. Some of you can't relate to that at all. Please forgive me. But when you love Jesus Christ, and he means everything to you, you're happy to do whatever he wants you to do, and you take great fulfillment in just being who he made you to be. There's components to their willingness. And then there's a commandment in their willingness, and we're done. Look at verse number 23. There was a king's commandment concerning them that a certain portion should be for the singers due for every day. Now, just so you understand what's going on here, look down at verse number 24, the end of the verse. Was at the king's hand in all matters concerning the people. Now, just so we know and get caught up, what he has done is he's gone through this list and he's laid out different parameters for different people. In verse number 9, they got an overseer. In verse number 11, there's a ruler of the house of God. In verse number 12, there's their brethren that did the work. In verse number 14, there's the men of valor, and the men of valor, they have an overseer in verse number 14. Then in verse 16, there's a couple of guys, the chief of the Levites, that had oversight of the outward business of the house of God. So there's people oversight in the inward business, but there's people with the oversight of the outward business. And then in verse number 17, there's, there's the, son of, the son of Asaph, which was the principal to begin the thanksgiving in prayer. His job was to begin the thanksgiving in prayer. Then there's porters in verse 19, and their brethren that keep the gates in verse 19. And then in verse 22, there's the overseer of the Levites. And at the end of verse number 2, there's singers over the business of the house of God. There's, there's, uh, and then in verse number 23 and 24, there's the king's commandment. Verse number 35, there's those guys that work in the valley of the craftsmen. What I'm trying to show you is that in order to keep that thing going that had been built, in order to keep that service to God going, that very important work, a safe place, somewhere where people could build their families and build their houses and walk with God and fellowship with the Lord and have a safe retreat from the dangers of the world around them, God had to have appointed certain people in certain places to do certain jobs. And all that thing had structure. Can I say what is lacking in most people's lives today is structure. Your phones have destroyed your structure. Your television and your iPads have destroyed your structure. The modern day virtual work has destroyed the structure. No more meetings anymore. No more hitting the time clock. I work in an office. I can work virtual. It's destroyed the structure. And it's corroding the the character of an entire culture. What you've got to have is there's got, if you're going to go anywhere in life, if your kids are going to go anywhere, there has to be structure. That's not to be this domineering, crazy parent, but there's got to be structure. 
God laid out the structure, and it was God who had certain people in certain families. They were born of the Levites. They're the priests. They were with part of the singers. That's who they are. That's what they're born into. It's just what God gave them. Somebody that boasts himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. So many people want to do something for God, but they don't want to do what God said to do. I want to be a, who cares what you want to be? What did God put in you? This goes with tonight. We've been going through those gifts in 1 Corinthians. It's a great segue into this evening's message. I won't start preaching it now. What did God put into you? We'll talk more about it tonight. It doesn't matter whether it's a high and lofty ability or a little lowly ability. All that matters is, is it what God gave you? And are you willing to do your part in that machine to help the whole thing run well? So that the glory and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ can be there, so the work of God can go on, so some progress can be made and things can be kept safe, and say, listen, God, you're the boss. What you say, I do, and I do it your way, because you know better than I know it. And whatever you say, I'm going to do. In the middle of that thing there, they had somebody there that was sent from the king. That's the government. The domineering, oppressive government that had taken them over. And you'll notice God's people are there submitted to a foreign government. This church does not stand for, nor ever will stand for, resistance to the government. Little, 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 what is it, conspiracy theory nut jobs. We ain't a part of any of that stuff. You guys are nuts and they're unbiblical. You say, well, well, what about when the government makes us disobey Jesus? Then we'll disobey the government. That's Bible. I don't have time to teach it all right now. But so far, they ain't asking us to disobey Jesus. What we're supposed to do is pray for kings and all their authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And so far, God's been working here to that end. And so far in this nation, God's been working to that end. We still have some liberty. Ain't that a great thing? So guess what? While God's still giving us some liberty, we need some people willing to say, I'm in, I'm a part. And here's what I'm asking you to be in on it this morning. I'm not asking you to sign up to do stuff around the church. I'm asking you to sign up to follow the Lord wherever, whenever, however, and whatever He asks of you every day, one day at a time. That's willingness. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you would, as the pianist comes, I want to give you an opportunity just to Think about these things. The altar is open if you want to avail yourself of it. It's another thing we've never pushed here, and I'm not going to start now. It's a matter of willingness.